Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. One year ago this week, Meghan and Harry sat down with Oprah Winfrey. And we're looking back on the interview that shook the world. I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the U.S. And I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's chief royal correspondent. And this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. And top of the morning to Archie and Lilibet. It's March 2022. And Jack, do you remember what you were doing exactly a year ago this month? I do. I do. It was actually the early hours of the morning on March 8th UK time. It must have been like 1am or 2am or something ridiculous like that. And I had a headache and I was bleary eyed. And (laughs) I had I actually got like a few hours sleep, you know, and then woke myself up, which is hard to do. It was like I was going to the airport or something, except I wasn't. I was actually tuning in to Oprah with Meghan and Harry. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Me and you and hundreds of millions of other people as well all over the world. And like you, I was just exhausted. I was fielding so many press requests. Just a couple days before the interview was aired, I was debating Piers Morgan on his show about whether or not Harry and Meghan even had the quote-unquote right to do this interview and so on. I feel like that almost makes you a part of the kind of history of the interview, Kristen, because obviously Piers Morgan became a very big figure in it after broadcast, didn't he? Oh, he sure did, until a week later when he stepped down. (laughs) Yes, indeed, indeed. (laughs) But we need to go through some of the high points of this interview, what shook the world, and where we stand now a year later. What are your key moments that really stood out to you, Jack, in that interview? So I think the biggest take-home and what will be the longest-running thing is the allegation that an unnamed member of the royal family made racist comments about what Meghan and Harry's children would be, what colour their skin would be when they were born, how dark it would be. And I think this is, you know, obviously looking back to the 90s, Princess Diana did her massive mega bombshell tell-all interview and the one line that stands out from that was, there were three of us in this marriage that was a bit crowded. And I think that the allegation of racism is the three of us equivalent for Meghan and Harry. So that for me was the biggest, biggest line there. And the one that had that created the most kind of ramifications and it it created it. That will be the legacy will, will be that debate about racism. Yes, yes. And it's something that's been hotly debated that William days later was questioned on by the press. Is your family racist? This is something that I don't think they're ever going to be able to dodge. And especially considering the history of the royal family and what certain royal family members had done without apology. I mean, Princess Michael with her racist brooch, the royal family's history in the transatlantic slave trade. There were already so many indications that the institution itself was racist, but the idea that certain individuals in the family were also racist toward Meghan and her children with Harry, that was explosive for a lot of people. It really was. 
yeah that was that was absolutely explosive so it it, it has it has ramifications that extend beyond america and extend beyond britain so we've just had barbados um remove the queen of head of, as head of state and i think this is something they've been eyeing up for a while so it might not be anything at all to do with oprah however uh, removing the queen of head as head of state was a live issue at the uh, general election in jamaica the most recent one um, which mm-hmm. raises the prospect that this could have implications for Jamaican politics going forwards. Jamaica counts the Queen as head of state right now. It's one of uh, 14 countries outside Britain that do. Um, a bunch of others include, you know, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, a load of uh, a group of Caribbean countries, and some uh, Pacific Island nations. Uh, so I should take out that Pacific Island thing. So I think it's Indian Ocean, if that's okay. Um, so this could, you know, this could have serious implications. And we've got now, I think it's no coincidence that we've got um, William and Kate are visiting the Caribbean as part mm-hmm. of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. And Jamaica is one of the countries on their, on their tour. So it'll be really interesting to see whether Oprah comes up for them, whether Oprah comes up in the general kind of commentary and debate that surrounds the visit. Um, will they get a you know a kind of easy ride? Would it be plain sailing, or you know, will there be a big debate around this visit? Mm, I think that on the visit itself, there will be all diplomacy all the time. But I have a feeling there are going to be a lot of editorials written, though, and uh, not everybody is going to necessarily be rah rah king william in these editorials (laughs) exactly i reckon it will be quite quite effectively managed at specific events and specific jobs that william and kate go to but i would not be at all surprised if there was a kind of wider debate and wider commentary and maybe you know you might even see protests in jamaica i think that's happened before for the royals it could it could very easily happen again Now, let's get back to this Oprah interview for a second and talk about something else that was especially explosive for a lot of people. And that was Megan feeling suicidal ideations while she was pregnant, while she was being completely torn to shreds by the press, that the press was taking sides, that she felt that she was being locked in the palace and completely isolated from any support, that she wasn't getting the mental health care that she needed. And where she talked, frankly, about the fact that there was, on one night, Harry was going to an event and Megan felt that if she didn't go with him, when he came back, she might be dead. And that just broke my heart. I got, I got to tell you, that, that brought back so much of what we knew about what Diana was going through when she was in the palace. And yet it seemed completely current and it was completely in the present day language around mental health and our concerns about taking care of ourselves in a way that maybe back in the Diana days we took less seriously. It it was really heartbreaking. So this was the Royal Albert Hall event in January 2019, wasn't it? And um, yeah, she said there's photographs of it. And she talks about this photo where she's holding Prince Harry's hand. And she said, you you know, to to everybody else, they were happy. But she sees this and she just remembers the awful way that she felt at the time. And she sees the whites of their knuckles as they kind of grip each other's hands really tightly. That's obviously all the flash bulbs and the photography goes off around them. Um, And one big, big aspect of that as, as well, is Megan talked about her conversations within the palace at the time and she said that she asked to go to a to go somewhere um i.e. we 
we assume and Oprah suggested and Megan seemed to say that it was correct that she meant a kind of psychiatric institution where she could have had some treatment um, and she she could have been looked after and she says she was told that it, that would make the monarchy look bad. Um, so that is something that I wonder whether we that story might not even be over yet, whether we might hear more about some of those conversations that were happening at the time. She said Harry spoke to the institution as well. Um, obviously, we've got Harry's memoir coming up. I wonder whether this might be revisited. Yeah, I like a lot of people, I'm hoping that there are more details in his book about uh, what we only got a glimpse of in the Oprah interview. That's what I'm hoping for. And of course, um, Megan was, she was pregnant with Archie at the time. Um, and you mentioned Princess Diana. Obviously, Princess Diana had a experience, a mental health uh, experience where she threw herself down the stairs at Sandringham um, while she was pregnant with William. And she described how the Queen heard it and, and came out and was shaking. So, mm-hmm. you know, Megan and Harry have talked a lot about history repeating. And I think that, that is a, probably quite a stark point of comparison that will again not in a million years have been lost on Harry when you know when he says that stuff about history repeating I'm sure he has that in his mind yeah and something else they mentioned was that when they stepped down from being senior royals a lot of what helped them get their start in their new life was their inheritance from Diana so there was almost the implication that Diana knew history might repeat itself and that Harry would need her help from beyond the grave to take care of himself, to start his new life, and to hopefully live in a way that was happier than the way she got to live when she was alive. And I thought that was incredibly touching. Yes, that's um, so there's something that Harry said a couple of times, which is that he wants to break the cycle, isn't it? He wants to try to make sure that his children uh, have a better chance at life than he had. And when I say chance at life, I don't obviously mean in terms of chance to be successful, which obviously members of the royal family have a better chance than most people, but a better chance at happiness, I guess, because... You know, Harry's had, uh, he's had, he's got this weird tension, hasn't he, between the fact that he was born in a palace and that is privilege. You know, it opens doors that are not open for anybody else. But at the same time, his mother died when he was 12. I mean, it's, you know, that is trauma. That is absolute trauma that I have never had to deal with. And, you know, only a very small percentage of people do. And my heart goes out to all of them. Yeah. And, Why did she die? Because she was being chased down by the paparazzi. And of course, the paparazzi, the tabloid press, that came up quite a bit in the Oprah interview as well. And the fact that when the royal family wants to correct certain stories, they will. But they were choosing not to correct certain stories or take a stand when it came to racist attacks on Meghan or flat out false stories like Kate made Megan cry when the tabloid press was repeating a story over and over and over again that Megan made Kate cry. And that was, you know, really going against what people were reading when Megan and Harry made clear that that the palace does correct stories. I think not everybody knows that. The, the palace's motto is supposedly never complain, never explain. But no, the palace does in some cases step in and correct stories or file lawsuits even. This is another really interesting one that I wonder if we'll hear more about. So what makes this particular example particularly unique is, so Megan was asking Kensington Palace Press Office to put out a statement saying that the Megan made Kate cry story was false. And Kensington Palace didn't want to do that. 
Now, nothing has been said to indicate exactly what their reasoning was. Um, But obviously, if you have in any organization, including the palace, if you have a situation that involves two people within the institution, both Meghan and Kate, obviously they can't put out a statement unless it's going to be signed off on both sides. Um, And we don't know what Kate says about all this. And Megan did make reference in the Oprah interview to her expectation that Kate would want to set the record straight. She said, and I would hope that she would have wanted that corrected. So that you kind of get a sense from the interview that maybe Megan also thought that Kate should have done more to, to come out and try to make sure that this got corrected. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Something else that Megan made clear is that there is a difference between rudeness and racism because, you know, it's been brought up before and uh, Oprah brought this up as well. Well, some people called Kate names, some people called her weighty Katie and so on because, you know, how long is she going to wait for that wedding ring from Prince William? But there is a difference between rudeness and racism. And a lot of what Megan was receiving from the press wasn't just the misogyny of pitting her against Kate and so on, but it was also racism. Racism and misogyny are very different from rudeness. I think a lot of what Kate got, it was kind of class snobbery, wasn't it? She got her... Um, yes. There were stories, the, her and Kate were nicknamed the Wisteria Sisters, I think, because they were, what was it? It, was, it sounded like something out of Jane Austen. It was in the mail and it was something like, they are incredibly fragrant and with a ferocious ability to climb or something like that. Um, yes. And her mum, Carol, was mocked for being a former um, air stewardess. Um, so that was the that was what Kate got. But um, yeah, I mean, this yeah, it goes back to the to the racism that we talked about before. So there's two sides to it, I suppose, because they they revealed for the first time that they felt that they'd experienced racism within the royal family, um, but also they revisited a subject that they had perhaps spoken about a little bit before, which was the treat their treatment in the media. So there's those two sides to the debate about racism that they that came out of Oprah, with the one side relating to the palace as an institution, and then the other side relating to the media and the way that they were covered. And obviously that is an argument and a debate that continues to unfold today. Yeah, let's talk about the aftermath, Jack, because it's now been a year and some of these questions and issues that were brought up in that Oprah interview are still unresolved. A lot of them, yeah, a lot of them. And I think there's more There's more to hear from, you know, Harry and Meghan's side of it as well. But I suppose one issue that the royal family just launched a diversity drive and kind of made some commitments to um, being more diverse as an institution. Um, They published some data on their diversity figures. But I think one thing that um, we in the media and wider commentariat need to do is keep on top of them about this and kind of try to make sure that they do seek progress, particularly because my big thing with diversity statistics and diversity figures is that they often don't tell you what's actually going on at the top of organizations. And while the royal family's figures might not seem as bad across the whole royal household, when you get up to the kind of top table, as I think of it, it is all white. It's it's predominantly male and it's all white. So yeah, I think for me, it's that diversity has to exist up and down the food chain. It can't just exist, you know, in the rank and file. If, if the royal family is serious about diversity, they need to get some uh, some big names into senior posts within the royal household. 
you know, real decision yeah. makers. It's about decision making, isn't it? It is, but I also think they have to acknowledge some things. They've been very avoidant in terms of this whole subject. They have treated racism as something that's very much in the past. I mean, Charles at one point essentially apologized for the the royal family's role in the transatlantic slave trade, but treating it like it's in the past doesn't fix anything. And acknowledging what wrongdoings have taken place, what oversights, what hiring decisions they've made, acknowledging all of these things, I think, would be a great step forward. And also saying, it was new to us to have a person of color as a senior royal, and we know we made some missteps. I think something as simple as that would do a world of good to reinstate some trust with the public, especially considering that when you look at the Commonwealth, there are so many people who also are people of color mm. in the Commonwealth. And yeah. to try and you know build trust with the people who felt hurt by all of this would do a world of good for the royals. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea, actually. And it's not one that I've thought of or actually heard anybody else say is that you could have somebody like a Charles or a William come out and give a really frank and like a kind of sympathetic and honest account and say, you know, like a couple of things took us by surprise. I mean, it's a very traditional institution. It's got it's got history dating back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, but people like to see acknowledgement that from public figures, I think, that they're not always in the rights. Like nobody's ever always in the rights. And, you know, you look back at the royal, royal family's recent history, and obviously there have been very prominent comments made by members of the royal family that you absolutely would not say today, and they probably shouldn't have said at the point that they were saying them. Um, so it can't really be a surprise to anybody that there, that in the history there have been things that you know the royals might want to, yeah, might want to say apologise for or, or acknowledge. And you've mentioned Princess Michael of Kent. I mean, you know, you mentioned the racist brooch, but obviously that's kind of the, the half of it. There's been suggestions that she has two sheep, two black sheep, nicknamed or not nicknamed that she has named Venus and Serena. Um, and there was a reported incident in a restaurant in New York where I think, I can't remember if it was the New York Post or the New York Daily News, suggested that she told a group of um, African-American diners that they weren't in the colonies or to go back to the colonies or something like that. So, I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. There's a lot to talk about. Um, and I, I have to say, I do agree. I think if, you know, if somebody came a senior member of the royal family it's probably it's either going to be charles or william realistically um came out and you know gave a full and frank account i think actually a lot of people would probably be pleased to hear them do that oh absolutely especially if there was a lot of contrition in it you know we're learning we're sorry we know we're not perfect we're trying to get better every day and we care about forging a better path forward. And I I think that they could do it in a very diplomatic way that would ease a lot of people's concerns. But uh, we've yet to see that. I I wish they would have done it by now. It's been a year since that Oprah interview. They've had a lot of time to do this and they just haven't done it yet. It doesn't feel like it's coming. It doesn't feel like it's coming, does it? And I don't think it is. But there's another there's another aspect to this which we are which certainly has been suggested that we're going to hear more about. It could obviously be swept under the carpet, but in the days before the Oprah interview, um, a set of allegations appeared in the Times. That is to say, the UK newspaper, the Times, not the New York Times, um, suggesting that Meghan had bullied her staff while she was at Kensington Palace. Um, that was uh, Meghan and Harry at the time through their spokesperson suggested that that was a smear designed to derail the Oprah interview 
and the and Buckingham Palace um, launched a internal review of what happened at Kensington Palace when Meghan and Harry were there. Um, now we haven't seen the outcome of that review yet, which means that there could be more. Um, the suggestion at the time was that it would eventually be published in something called the Sovereign Grants Report. Now, if that is how it goes, then that we are likely to see in the summer. Significant timing because obviously Prince Harry's memoir comes out later in the year. So if there is some kind of massive bombshell where a whole load of more of these allegations against Meghan come out via the Sovereign Grant Report, then it could potentially... Uh, depending on the timings of the publisher, there could be an opportunity for Harry to hold back his memoir to see what they say. And then, you know, obviously things could be added in or taken out of that memoir in response to whatever gets whatever gets said. Yeah, it should be noted, however, that these bullying allegations, that the two people who supposedly were bullied in the initial claim withdrew their names from it and said that no, we're not a part of this. So that brings some of the legitimacy of these bullying claims into question, that the people at the center of it are saying, actually, no, that's not true. And then on top of that, that there have yet to be any details about what bullying means. She shook my confidence. She made me cry is not saying what Megan actually did. Did she throw a phone at you? Did she threaten to get you fired if you didn't massage her shoulders? I mean, there's nothing so far that has been brought forward that actually would legally be considered workplace harassment or bullying, only reactions to what Megan may or may not have done. So there are a lot of questions about how legitimate these claims are. I'm not trying to say that I don't take workplace harassment or bullying seriously. I absolutely do. I'm just saying that thus far, there have been a lot of questions about how legitimate are these claims, especially with the two people at the center of the claims withdrawing their names from it, and with there being no specific actions attached to what the bullying was. And I, I suppose the the other thing that is worth pointing out is that I think Megan's lawyer appeared in a BBC documentary last year called The Princes in the Press, in which she did slightly soften the Sussex stance on this, in, uh, in that she said that while Megan still very strongly denies uh, bullying, she also doesn't want to negate anybody else's experience. Um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see if the review does bottom out any of these allegations and what, if anything, it says. But there have also been some uh, kind of noises or soundings in the UK media that it might actually all get swept under the carpet. Um, there were initial reports that quite a significant number of staff had volunteered their stories to the review, but um, a suggestion in the mail that they hadn't necessarily all been contacted by the law firm conducting it, um, suggesting it was what well, the suggestion the newspaper made was that the whole thing was going to be swept under the carpet. And, you know, will we ever even hear any more about it again? Um, nothing is confirmed, but that is something that could come this summer. Um, so when the Sovereign Grant report comes out, it is entirely possible this summer that that's when we'll get the finality on that inquiry. If not, will we get ever get to see it at all? I mean, it might. If it, if it doesn't come out this summer, you've got to think: Does it really take that long to investigate something like this? Yeah, it's been a very long investigation. Very, very, very long. Yeah. Well, I will say this just to bring it back to Oprah for a second. I really hope there's another interview when Harry's book comes out. <laughs> <laughs> you got to think he'll do something, haven't you? I mean, I, I'm sure he must do something. Megan did for the bench, didn't she? Did she go? She went on NPR, yes. I think, didn't she? Yes, yes. 
And so, yeah, if there is another interview when his book comes out, I think the whole world would be happy to watch that. You know, Megan, Oprah, Harry, that's a winning combo. I'll tell you what, though, Kristen, that is going to be another uh, late night for me, isn't it? Because we're going to have to read that book at a rate of knots. I, I don't think it's going to be short either. It's going to be a long book. And there's going to be a lot in it. And I'm going to be reading and writing and then reading and then writing and then reading and then writing. So I think I'm going to be flat out for about a week when that book comes out. <laughs> there may not be an episode of the Royal Report that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> or the episode might just be us reading the book. <laughs> me, the sound of me frantically typing in the background as I try to write 17 news stories off the back of it. <laughs> Well, we're about to wrap up this bonus episode, but I do just want to remind folks out there that if you are struggling in any way with suicidal ideation, that there is help in the U.S., you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. In the U.K., you can call 0800-689-5652. It's all good laughs here on the show. But of course, we take your mental health very seriously. So please don't be afraid to reach out and get help if you need it. And on that note, Jack, that's it for this very special bonus episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we always have the latest updates on all things royal. I'm at Jack underscore Royston, and Kristen is at Kristen Meinzer. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jack Royston. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, including you, Oprah, Harry, and Megan. And a curtsy to you all. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.